Before we get started, I wanted to address an issue that I realized could pop up when I was re-listening to episode 1. The creatures, the legends, and much of the stories I tell here are real. At least, as real as myths and legends can be. I researched those cryptids that make their home in the state of topic, as I mentioned in the intro. But I do often extrapolate from those legends to create a fully fleshed out story. Meaning that not all of the details I present are 100% factual. But hey, that's the fun part of mystery. Letting our minds wander. Within the world of mystery, there are further subsets. Subsets that can often be categorized by varying degrees of similarities amongst instances within. Whether you're considering ghosts, aliens, cryptids, or any other form this world of the weird may take, you're likely to stumble across beings that, while unique, do share in description or nature with another unique instance. Today's story is one of those. A creature that draws very near to creatures like Sasquatch, the Yeti, and the Texas Wildman. For those familiar with the tales of the SCP Foundation, a creature that fits into the family tree that is called SCP-1000. Though not as notable, on the global scale anyway, today's story will show this creature is, arguably, one of the more ferocious members of said family. Welcome to Cryptid Caves, the part of the Strangelings podcast series that insists on bringing a high-definition camera every time we go into the forest. I'm Aaron, and I'll be your guide on this tour of the secretive safari. So sit back, buckle in, and, if you're so inclined, invite the follow button to help you catch the monster that has terrorized your family. Then, once they arrive, proceed to use them as bait. This week is Episode 2. The Mugion Monster of Arizona. Potential instance of SCP-1000. Location, Arizona, USA. Dispatch recon and report team. The area of Arizona, south of the Grand Canyon and east of Prescott National Forest, is an area known as the Mogollon Rim. Expanding from Williams, Arizona, a town just outside of Flagstaff in the north to Clifton in the south, and east to west from Alpine to Payson. In this biodiverse region, with its vast forests, imposing cliffs and beautiful lakes, lies a dark secret. A creature that is shrouded in legend. A creature similar to Sasquatch, the Yeti, and all the others who seem to share the description of being a large, bipedal mix of human and ape. A creature whose origin is up for debate, but one who is, especially to those who have claimed to have crossed paths with it, very real in the culture and minds of Arizona. A creature they call the Mogollon Monster. The earliest reported sighting dates back to 1903, when, in an edition of the Arizona Republican, 
a man by the name of I.W. Stevens described seeing a creature near the Grand Canyon. It had long white hair and a matted beard that reached to his knees. It wore no clothing, and upon its talon-like fingers were claws, claws that were at least two inches in length. I gave it a good look. It had a full coat of gray hair, just spots of dirty skin showing here and there. I happened upon the creature. Stumbling over a ridge, I saw it. It was drinking the blood of two cougars. When it saw me, it raised a club at me and let loose the wildest, most unearthly screech. Another early sighting occurred in the mid-1940s. The story was recounted later by cryptozoologist Don Davis. He claimed an account in which, while on a Boy Scout trip in his youth, he came face to face with this creature at their campsite near Payson. The creature was huge. Its eyes were set deep into its head, so much so that they were hard to see. What could be seen seemed expressionless. Its face was pretty much devoid of hair, but there was some along the side of its face. Its chest, shoulders, and arms were massive, especially the upper arms. Its head was square, almost like a box. Mr. Davis continued to describe his encounter with this creature. He tells his story. Who's there? Come on, guys. Go back to bed. I don't, and no. Donnie? Donnie? <laughs> Say something. Donnie! <laughs> Sightings continued from one turn of a century into another. In 2004, one Miss Marjorie Grimes of White River, Arizona, claimed to witness this creature in the wild several times between 1982 and 2004, describing it as black, tall, and walking with a long, inhuman stride. She detailed a time in which she caught sight of the creature between two trees, watching her as she drove past in her car. Then, in 2006, one Colette Altaha, a member of the White Mountain Apache Nation in Arizona, was quoted as saying, 
We're not prone to easily talk with outsiders, but there have been more sightings now than ever before. It simply cannot be ignored any longer. In reference to this creature, Tribal Police Lieutenant Ray Burnett stated, There's been a couple of times they've been seen looking through windows. The people, the ones calling in, they're scared when they do call. And they aren't hallucinating, they weren't drunks, and they aren't people we know can make hoax calls. Those calls come from real citizens of the Fort Apache Indian Reservation. But, as alarming as the mere sight of the Mogollon monster can be, its reputation is a ferocious one. A reputation that, if stories are to be believed, tells of a monstrous beast, one whose bite is far worse than its bark. The most grotesque story within this legend is that of the Spade family, a father, a son, and the son's would-be wife. The father, Sam Spade, was an American pioneer who chose to settle in Arizona, within the supposed range of this creature. The decision to build his log cabin on land adjacent to what is now Camp Geronimo seemed at first to be a good one. The 360-degree scenic views, the tranquility, the chance to connect with nature, all reinforced the dream he now saw manifested before him. But that same celebrated decision would go on to prove fatal. Billy, hey, Billy, come out here for a minute. What is it, Dad? I just put on the finishing touches. I wanted to see what you thought of the place. It isn't bad. It'll take some getting used to. And I'm not fond of moving away from my friends in town, but I can definitely see what you mean about the peace and quiet you get out here. Yeah, that'll mean more and more to you as you get older. Your friends will always be there. But there's nothing wrong with taking some time for yourself. Stepping away from the hustle and bustle and just checking in with yourself. It keeps you centered. After everything, you deserve that more than anyone. I want that for you. And it's not like I can't go into town to see my friends. All things considered, I'm happy we're moving out here. Me too. Now grab that bag. Let's go into town. I've got to grab some supplies, and I saw a nice little restaurant on the way up here. I'm up for some lunch. Maybe we can swing by the school, see who's all out there. Sam's hope for the future would lead to a time of prosperity. His son, while always trusting of his father's plan to settle the area, grew to gain the same level of appreciation for the situation as his father continued to display. Before long, Billy would grow into the spitting image of his father, both by appearance and character. All residual negativity he felt towards having left his life in town had long since faded, 
counted amongst youthful naivete if considered at all. The cabin was now home, a place he couldn't imagine leaving. Even now, after proposing to his longtime girlfriend Rebecca and looking forward to a new chapter in his life, Billy, now going by Bill, was searching not for a place in town, but for the perfect spot to build his own cabin, one that he and Rebecca could share. His soon-to-be wife, equally excited about the future, had grown to share in the admiration Sam and Bill had for life in the forest. So neither did she plan to move back into town. Rebecca, having grown up in the town nearest to the Spade homestead and being familiar with the Spade family since a young age, originally questioned the value of the simple life Sam and eventually Bill chose for themselves. However, once she had began dating Bill, it hadn't taken long for her to begin looking forward to the quiet nights spent by the fire, telling stories with Bill and his father, sharing life lessons, dreams for the future, and the occasional attempt to frighten one another. Oh my God! I'm telling you, that's exactly what she said. I walked in, heard it, and walked right back out. Has she tried to explain herself? I... I mean, she can't want that to be what you think she's into. Nope. As far as I know, she hasn't even tried to find me in town. I know she knows I was there, but... But maybe she's into that sort of thing. Maybe she likes that, you know, go get her dad. Bill? The preacher's wife? You can't seriously believe she's out there on the prowl. Trying to step out on Pastor David. She's always been a little high-strung for my liking. A stick-up, you know where. It's funny to think she just needs a good... Billy, that's enough out of you. There's no way I'm going to be hitting the town with the preacher's wife. But... Ooh, it's kind of cold out here tonight. And a bit creepy. Oh dear, you don't know how creepy it can get out here. I'm guessing my boy didn't tell you the story of the Muggleland monster, did he? The what monster? No, he most certainly did not. Come on, Dad. Ghost stories and tall tales are for another night. I want to hear more about your soon-to-be girlfriend. Oh, quiet down. It's not a tall tale. I heard about it from the Apache guy that hangs outside of Barney's place on Main Street. They swear it's a walkin', talkin', living monstrosity. Lives right here in these woods. Really? Yep. Yeah, I've heard those stories, too. And even if you're crazy enough to believe Larry, the guy that sells magic sticks and dream catchers he made from garbage to tourist, the Mogollon monster goes as far as Clifton. So even if it is real, the chances crossing paths with it in all that space are slim to none. But there's a chance? Of course there's a chance. There's always a chance. Babe, he's just trying to scare you. How long have we been living in these woods? Do you really believe I would be out here if there was something trying to hunt me down? Let alone bring you out here. I'm not trying to scare her. Then why tell the story? Because you, you're the one that's going to have to walk back through the woods alone after you take her home. So you're trying to scare me? Now you're getting it. Is it working? <laughs> Secretly at first, Rebecca found herself longing for those nights. But it didn't take long for her to be open with her loved ones. She had become the type of person that sought that simple life. 
The same life she had questioned as a young girl. The life she now adamantly believed was the best way for a person to live. In fact, it was this personal revelation that proved to her that she was exactly where she wanted to be, even needed to be. It cemented the love she felt for Bill and set her sights on a life as Mrs. Spade. All with high anticipation for many more nights in front of the fire. But that charmed life wasn't in her cards. Fate wasn't going to allow her to even taste the life she saw for herself. Even worse, she would be forced to live a nightmare on the same night her and Bill announced their engagement. The night they were to take the first step toward the life they both envisioned. A nightmare that, in one form or another, would continue to plague both of them until their own grisly end. Let's open a bottle to celebrate. To the happy couple, may you have a long and happy life together. Oh, Freya, this is too much. You really shouldn't have gone through all the trouble. Nonsense! When my friend, the same girl that got me through math, science, and every breakup I've ever had, tells me she's getting married, nothing is too good for that celebration. Besides, any reason to drink is a good one. I just can't believe you invited me. I figure that I might as well get used to you. After all, you make my main girl happy. That's good enough for me. Just don't go changing that or you'll regret it. This really has been a day to remember. And all thanks to you, Freya. I'll never be able to thank you enough. Agreed. Thank you for this, Freya. But we do need to be going. My father's waiting with dinner on the table. I guess I can't keep you guys all to myself. Give Sam a hug for me. Just maybe don't tell him it's from me. Yep, that's still creepy. What is it you see in my dad? I don't really think we have time to get into all of that. Bye, Freya. We'll catch up with you later, yeah? Man, I can't see a thing. I can't believe the sky just opened up like this. I just hope we get back to your dad's house before it gets any worse. I hope Sam's not waiting around, worried about us. I'm sure he's fine. You know how he is if we got home too soon? He'd lecture me about driving too fast. In a storm like this, he still might. Besides, the cabin is just around the next turn. We'll be there in a few minutes. I'll grab the stuff from the back. You go ahead and take those couple bags in the house. Please hurry. You'll get sick out here. Hey, Dad, we're back. Will you grab us a couple of towels? It's raining like crazy out here. Dad? What's going on in here? Rebecca?
The grisly nature of the scene was overwhelming. The blood flooding the home, giving off the feel that it had perverted the very tranquility the family had found so central to their lives. So much so, that the shock sets in on the couple, even before finding Sam's remains, his decapitated body still clutching his rifle. But the scene was made ever worse by that final discovery. A discovery that undermined the thought that an animal could be responsible for hunting down their beloved Sam Spade. You see, animals aren't keen on sending a message. Nor are they into anything for the shock factor. So finding their father's face removed from the skull and nailed to a back wall by a sharpened stick was enough to prove something more was at play. going to be able to get into this house. Certainly nothing capable of doing anything like this. He had his gun. Why are there signs of struggle in every room? None of this makes sense. Could, was it, did someone, a person do this? Who would have done it? Everybody loved him. This wasn't a person. Nothing is missing. His money is sitting out in plain view. And my mom's old jewelry is still in the bowl on the counter. What happened here? My love. I know, dear, I know. We need to get the sheriff up here. Oh my God, get the sheriff, go, get Roy. As one would imagine, this was the type of thing that will shake a person to their very core. That extent of gore, even if not brought upon someone you love, has a staying power in your mind. And that's exactly what happened to Bill and Rebecca. While the support poured in from the people in town, both those they knew and the ones they didn't, and the sheriff continued to work feverishly to find an explanation that fit the scene he was called to that night. Nothing was able to erase it from their subconscious minds. Nothing could stop the dreams. Stop the nightmare that their lives had become. But even though such tragedy often finds ways to tear people apart, Sam's death had the opposite effect on the relationship between Bill and Rebecca. Almost as if the shared horror they had experienced had put them in a bubble, part of the world around them. But still somehow, separated from it as well. They alone knew how unforgiving life could be. They alone knew what this creature, one the townspeople could only whisper about, was truly capable of. 
While the fear and helplessness monopolized their nightmares, justice, or perhaps revenge, occupied their every waking thought. Their nights, still spent by the fire, had turned into a sort of planning session. Their armament, once modest and focused entirely on necessity, had now grown to a level one would expect to find in a military encampment. And now, Rebecca was a regular fixture at the local market, so that the family's hunting traps, fishing lines and other snares, once utilised to catch dinner, now were geared toward catching the beast. But the monster never came. The days turned to weeks, then to months, and nothing again broke the quiet stillness they once appreciated more than anything else about their home. But now it was a source of aggravation, a constant denial of the one thing the couple wanted more than anything else, a shot at the beast, a chance to avenge their beloved Sam Spade and prove their sanity once and for all to those in the town who had begun to think the couple had lost their minds in grief. Even the sheriff, once hell-bent on deciphering the inconsistencies of the scene of Sam's last moments, the parts of the case that didn't fit with the narrative of a cougar or bear attack which were the leading theories, had begun to lose his vigour. He too had begun to resign the idea of this being the work of the Magoyan monster, to fantasy. Even, on one occasion, believed that it was Bill who, in an attempt to include the extraordinary aspects of the scene, in an effort to cement his father's place in a tale of which he had been so fond of telling, had manufactured the scene to include the extraordinary aspects of the case. Luckily, the sheriff stopped short of accusing Bill of killing his father. That would have been a line from which there was no coming back. And the two men, Sheriff Woodridge and Bill Spade, had been through too much together to let it end on such a note. But soon, both Bill and Rebecca would learn to be careful of what they wish for, and that they weren't as prepared to exact their revenge as they believed themselves to be. Good morning, beautiful. No. It's bad luck for you to see me before the wedding. It's tradition. I think we're all out of bad luck, my dear, especially on our wedding day. You shouldn't say things like that. You'll jinx it. <laughs> What's up with you today? Nothing's up. I just want this day to be perfect. We deserve that. A perfect start to our lives as Mr. and Mrs. William Spade. I am marrying the most beautiful woman in the world. Everything's already perfect. What could possibly go wrong?
Yes, the fairy tale ending wasn't going to happen for the spade couple. Their end was the same gruesome scene, in the same house, that they had hated so much for their beloved Sam. The creature would find them as well, and all the planning, all the hatred they felt towards this creature, none of it would be enough to overcome its ferocity. When I was doing my research, all I kept thinking about was a quote someone made to laugh off the Mugion monster. They called it the Abominable Snowbird, and I wanted that on a t-shirt. But it does help to further the connection between this apparent family of cryptids, and it sort of adds to the possibility that there are ape-like creatures running around the more wild and untamed parts of our world. And if so, and we, as a culture, resign things like the Mugion monster, Sasquatch, and the Yeti to the realm of myth and legend, what else are we giving the same treatment? What other creatures are we debating due to lack of hard evidence that simply are just reclusive enough to avoid our technology and our naked eye? That is the question that draws the intrigue, that fuels the stories, the hunt for these creatures. And it is the fuel behind this podcast. But it raises another interesting question. If these creatures exist on the periphery of our acknowledgement, somewhere between imagination and reality, simply due to their aforementioned nature, what could be out there that is even more hidden? What exists without us even imagining them sharing our world? What is in our backyard but still unknown? I often end up in Reddit rabbit holes of stories and reported encounters that hint at things deeper than what we see in a precursory look at the world of the weird, usually beginning with my attempt to discover more about my own family stories of an inhuman human. That may be a path I take with future episodes, or maybe create Strangelings the Unknown Monsters as a new arm in the series. But getting back to the Mugion Monster, I tend to believe it's out there, roaming the forests of Arizona. There are too many similar creatures, creatures that have been sighted across centuries, and by a wide variety of people, for me to just write it off. And I feel like the whole mistaken identity argument is a well that skeptics have visited too often for me to take at face value. I'll recognize the possibility, but it has to come with supporting reasons, reasons that lead to the conclusion. Otherwise, I'll simply think they're defending the idea that these creatures don't exist because they don't want them to. Especially considering that it isn't just city-dwelling citizens that report sightings of these types of creatures. If a man who grew up in the woods, a hunter, an outdoorsman, comes to me with a story about having seen a creature he couldn't explain, and that he had never seen before, then you try to explain it away as a bear, elk, or some other creature the, guy, the first guy has probably seen a million times. I'm going to think you're crazy. Unless you have specifics to point to that justify that thought. And science is great. Being able to clearly classify and understand the world around us is an astonishing feat of humanity. I would argue that to be the very meaning of life. With that said, however, there is one thing even the most devout scientist will admit to, and that's that, often, science can't account for reality, and there are things in the universe that happen even if we are sure they aren't supposed to be able to. And that's what keeps our place on this rock interesting. The unknown. Sometimes frightening, but always intriguing. So yes, I want to believe things are out there, 
and I will pursue an understanding of them until the day I die. But I'm also reasonable enough to hear based arguments against each topic I research. Just don't take the fun out of it. That'll do it for this week's episode of Cryptid Caves, the Muggion Monster of Arizona. If you haven't done this already, and you like living life a little on the weird side, ask the follow button to come over and help you catch the monster that's been terrorizing your family. Then, once they get there, proceed to use them as bait. And if you find yourself wanting more from Cryptid Caves or anyone on the Strange Links team, you can follow us on Instagram at strangelings underscore podcast, or follow the link in the episode description to join our Discord server and get heard by all of us Strangelings. Thanks for listening. And unless a woodland monster decides to act on a blood feud it has with me, I'll see you next week for episode 3, Massachusetts.